0: Thank you for tuning in to a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy! Welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron Master. I'm the pastor here. You're in for a one-hour service with a mission to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. Our goal here is to do what any good Christian church should do, which is to help you connect with God in a worshipful way and help you grow in your relationship with Him. Our style just might be a bit different than what you're used to or different than other churches in the area. But what we want you to know is we're still true to the Bible, we take God very seriously here, and we want to guide and encourage you every week you're here. Today we're continuing a series that we've been calling, I Have Doubts, and we're looking at some of the doubts many of us tend to have, or our friends tend to have, when it comes to God, the Bible, and the church. And today's topic is one that wars have been started over, families have divided on, People have died for. Political arguments have been made on both sides. We're talking about the super light topic of the Bible today, right? I'm joking because the Bible is without a doubt the most power, influence, and contentious book in the world. But why? I mean, if we're asking the real honest questions in this series, which is what we're all about here at Centerpoint. What makes the Bible so special? I mean, if you just pick one up, like, you know, you you open it up, there's like a gazillion words in it. Like, you, you need your glasses on for sure. The paper kind of feels like, you know, that kind of like cheaper toilet paper that you don't want to use? That's kind of what it feels like. It's this packed book of verses that feels kind of extremely outdated sometimes at first glance, maybe even random, and honestly really, really hard to read at times. And as you go through there's some things that just seem kind of messed up in it. Killing, war, incest, inequality, harsh illustrations, multi-eyed creatures. Not only that, the reality of the story sometimes seem off. Yet somehow it's supposed to be God's message and words to us. But how? How and, and what does that really even mean? How did the Bible come from God to this? And then don't even get me started like, with people that, that actually use this, right? Because there's so much disagreement on how people use this and what it's saying at times. So what's the point? It's easy to have doubts in the Bible. I've got to ask you, have you struggled with that before? Have you struggled with the Bible? Have you doubted it's from God before? Have you doubted some of its content? Have you doubted its usefulness or relevancy? If you haven't, well, you might be too saved for this message today. <laughs> I'm joking, but, but honestly, this message is for someone who struggles trusting the Bible. It's for one who doesn't want to beat around the bush with some of their doubts and questions with it. It's for someone who wants to move towards a deeper faith in God, but has some biblical roadblocks. If you haven't really dealt with any of these roadblocks before, maybe you're thinking, like, I don't know if this really is worth my time, or this message is really for me. I would strongly urge you to reconsider We're going to spend a lot of time in 2 Timothy today, and it's this letter written uh, by Paul. He's kind of this big-time pastor, essentially, and he's writing this letter to a younger pastor, Timothy, and it addresses the Bible quite a bit in it. And it alludes to the fact that if you're a Christian hoping to mature... God has called you to both understand scripture and to help others in their walk with God's word. It's in 2 Timothy 2.15. It says, Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. You are to explain the word of truth. And in order to do that well, you need to know where others are maybe coming from and what they're maybe struggling with. And in today's world and culture... The Bible is a struggle for lots of people. Let me just throw a few statistics out there at you. Many surveys, they show this decline in people who see the Bible as authority. Some of today's generations and some of the surveys with them, it states that about 50% do not see the Bible as authority. That means for every two people, one person sees it as authority and one does not. That's a huge difference, right? As a church plant, our focus has been to communicate in a way that would both grow the Christian, one person, but then also engage the non-Christian, that other 50%, and help them learn through Scripture. That being said, if you're a Bible-believing person here today who wants to know how to share and pass on the love of Scripture, this is a message for you. Throughout this series, we hope to have created the safe place where you can ask questions, you can process your doubt. Each week of this series, we've been referencing this quote, uh, "The strongest faith isn't a faith that never doubts. The strongest faith is a faith that grows through your doubts." And we hope that applies to your view of the Bible. We want to help you move from unbelief and uncertainty in the Bible to have confident faith in it. We want you to move from doubt or from unbelief. To faith. And doubt somewhere is in the middle. At times we just doubt. Doesn't mean we don't have faith, but we're just trying to get closer and closer to a a pure, full faith. And that's our goal with the Bible today. So to get us started, I want to get us to a commonplace of what we hope all get to when it comes to the Bible. As a church, our belief in the Bible is stated as this. It says, The Bible is God's written word. We believe it is accurate and authoritative. It is made up of books written by human writers, inspired by God, in pursuit to understand who God is. The Bible is what we use to guide our lives, learn who God is, and to help us figure out how God works in our individual lives. This belief is formed directly from 2 Timothy 3:16 to 17 All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Normally, on stage here, I try not to share my views up here, but today I think it would be helpful for our conversation and uh, to share a little bit of where I stand with the Bible. I personally believe the Bible is authoritative true and exactly how God wants it. But there are some steps for me internally that I had to wrestle with to get to that point. For starters, I had to embrace my belief in a God, a real God. Uh, that, last week we talked all about that. We can move from doubt to a belief in a real God and how that, it can be reasonable even. We talked about the fine-tuning of the world. Like, there's just so many fine-tuning things that it, uh, you definitely have to believe in a God. We talked about how there's a need for a creator. Like, all science essentially says that the earth started at some point. And in order to have a beginning, you need a beginner. We talked about the morality of humans that we just naturally have. We talked about the historicity of the Bible. We talked about the life of Jesus. The need and evidence for a God was undeniable to me and hopefully for you after last week's message. But by embracing a a belief in God, one that defies kind of laws of nature or our comprehension at times, it meant that we had to see that he interacted in the past with others in ways that kind of defy natural laws as well. So this, whether I like it or not, is going to bring some scriptures and teachings from God that are beyond my reasonability and beyond my comprehension. With that said, I had to be ready for scripture that defies my understand or defies my understanding. And in the Bible, to be honest with you, there are absolutely some lines that boggle my mind, even embracing the supernatural. Yet if God can create the world out of nothing, I have faith that he can use animals in a weird way. He can win wars through strange tactics. He can heal the sick. He can perform wonders and defeat death. And this is where faith comes in. If it all was clear, you wouldn't need faith. You can't have faith without doubt. So I have belief in 2 Timothy 3:16 to 17. The belief in this verse is the goal, to have a firm belief in the Bible, to believe it to be useful, to believe it to be God's word. But it doesn't mean we won't or don't struggle with that i know because i've been there early on in my faith i had some deep doubts in the bible personally early on in my faith like i struggled with how it came to be like humans wrote it really what do you mean like, but it's god's word but humans wrote it how What is that? how does that even work i felt there were just too many stories in it that were what i could only comprehend as stories there seemed to be just too many culturally outdated things in it to be useful today And then I would see people do such harsh things with the Bible and think, I don't want to be a part of that. Again, can you relate to some of those doubts? These thoughts or doubts in the Bible, they don't invalidate your faith or your connection to this church. It just means you're on a journey of growth to discover, which is what we hope to help you with today in dealing with biblical doubts. So let's get to it. Let's address some doubts in the Bible and move us closer to having a confident faith in it. And to do so, I broke it down into four questions we're going to look at. The first is, how did the Bible come to be? How are you to understand it? How to use it today? And how can you bring it to others who doubt? Although this is an essential message, I think, in your journey or in your walk with God or to help someone else grow, I do get today is not the most riveting message, So I was spending a little time thinking about what comes in fours as we got four questions. And uh, I wanted to like spice it up for you a little bit here. My mind's always on food. So anybody got any guesses on foods that come in fours? Kit Kats, right? Kit Kats. Any fans out there of Kit Kats? Oh, this guy, this guy gets a Kit Kat. Okay. (laughs) My wife gives me a hard time for Kit Kats as I eat it like any old candy bar without breaking it into the pieces. Anyone else do that? Oh, you guys deserve a candy bar for that. (laughs) Anybody break it off? All right, no candy for you throughout the message. But to be honest, all at once is a lot. So we're going to break it into pieces, piece by piece. Well, in honor of today's message and our four parts of the message, I got like a Kit Kat for each one. So here, we'll get to throw one out here for part one. How did the Bible come to be? Well, it's from thousands of years ago. It started as oral tradition, meaning no text, no paper, no writings, simply stories. Then it started to be written, which happened over an estimated of 1,500 to 2,000 years by about 40 different authors from three continents who wrote in three different languages. These people all had different backgrounds, from shepherds, kings, scholars, fishermen, priests, prophets, to just average Joes. And since each person's different... And from a different time period, each writer had their own personality and style added to the writing, yet they were all inspired by God to tell God's story. So what does this mean? Why is this helpful? You might be thinking, it's still written by man. How can it be God's word? Well, these people felt so moved from their experience from God that they decided to write. And as they're writing, they're talking from their point of view and their interpretation of what they saw and heard in that time period and in their cultural context. But whenever we put the past or an experience into words, it comes from our understanding. It's just the way our memories work. For example, I have a little confession for you. But even as a pastor, my wife and I, we we fight like maybe once a year or so. Okay. okay, maybe more than that, maybe a little more, but after we, ma- after we make up, and my wife and I, we talk or reflect on what we're fighting about and why, it tends to be different, which usually causes another fight, but that's besides the point, but we have different perspectives of things, but generally, we have the same truth to the fight, well, that's the same in the Bible. Three, there's different perspectives, different writers, all experiencing God and telling the story of God from their experience. Yet while this happens, things actually align amongst the writers. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing? What do you think about that? What do you think about the fact that multiple people all experienced God in similar ways before any scripture was written in different parts of the world and in different time periods? When I found this out, that was powerful for me because it showed me that Scripture of, or the Bible, it's this compilation of numerous, similar, powerful experiences with God. I mean, think about it. Like if there was a painting or a picture and somehow over 1,500 years, 2,000 years, with all these different writers, it turns out to be this beautiful picture. That's essentially what the Bible is. So how do we actually get from these writings, this picture of all these people that they wrote down to my Bible or a Bible we have today? How do we get to there? Well, to nerd out with you a little bit more. The Bible has an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament is the Hebrew Bible, and it's of things that happened before Jesus. There's 66 books in the Bible, uh, and it contains different genres of of books, law, history, prophets, wisdom, and essentially vent sessions even of people in the Bible The law part of the Bible uh, is known by the Jews as the Torah, or sometimes called the Pentateuch, and it's the first five books of the Bible. Scholars believe it was written around 300 B.C., and since it's all of Hebrew people, much of it was accepted without any debate. The books were chosen to be included in the Old Testament, and it was fairly just assumed, like that these should be in the Old Testament, because it was of one nation, and selected writings that held consistent teaching. Before the New Testament comes then, there's this 400-year gap, this gap of literature where where writings happen, but there isn't any uh, scripture or Bible that is using any of those writings from that 400-year. What was written during that time, though, is called Apocrypha. And what that is, is if maybe you were raised Catholic or uh, you've had a Catholic Bible before, some of these books in that 400 period are included in a Bible. That's actually the only real difference between a Catholic Bible and a Protestant Bible. A Protestant Bible or an evangelical Bible, it does not include those things. That actually is literally the only difference. The Catholic Church added those to their Bible in the 1500s. But the reason we don't have the Apocrypha as part of our scriptures today is it indicates... It's not Scripture, actually, in the Bible, like, or in, in the writings. In Maccabees 9.27, part of the Apocrypha, it says, "...so there was great distress in Israel, the worst since the time when prophets ceased." They're saying the prophets ceased. They stopped, so it's not Scripture. We also see that Jesus and the New Testament, authors, never directly quoted the Apocrypha. And then, although it can be this helpful thing in history, we see it as not a holy Scripture. Then it gets to the New Testament, the New Testament, or uh, the New Testament canon, which is just another word for a set of texts. It began simply as letters and like an accounts that people saw of Jesus that went around to different congregations and read during weekly services. But over time, pseudo writings or fake writings popped up, writings that weren't in li- alignment with what church doctrine was. And so the church had to kind of come together and funnel in on what was truth, what aligns with Scripture as we see in the Old Testament and in what Jesus taught. So the leaders, religious leaders, got together, all inspired by God. They had to funnel in what's truth and not, and then they figured out what they would see as the New Testament. And how they did this and chose these books is they, they asked these questions. Was the book written by or accepted by a first-century apostle of Christ? Does the book align with what is known about God from current scripture? Is God's transforming power evident in these scriptures? And was the book initially accepted, preserved, and circulated in the early church? And sure enough, they funnel in on a canon or a New Testament section. Today we have about 5,000 copies of this New Testament that are within about 50 to 225 years of the original writing of it. There's no other ancient text out there with as many authentic copies as the New Testament today. To then get us close to this actual book I have now. Well, sort of. Before we get to that book, translation has to happen. That's the final step. Translation has to happen as the original books were written in Greek or Hebrew, which then went to Latin, which then went to English. And then from there we have different translations that we can use today trying to make it more understandable to a particular audience or time period by using relevant phrases or words as things change over time. For example, I don't know if you knew this or not, but the word nice, it used to mean silly, foolish, or simple. It's not a great thing to say, you're a nice person, right? Like back then, that would be like kind of an insult. It's not really the compliment it is today. So translations are conscious of those type of things while trying to stay true to the original scriptures. So here's a few examples of different translations. NLT is what we use here on Sundays, New Living Translation. That means it's more of a modern, uh, uh, understandable language. NIV is New International Version. It's a little bit older than NLT, but still, again, still modern. English Standard Version, it tries to use uh, the words that are actually seen in the original language as close as possible to the English words, and they're not as worried about uh, understanding. The message is paraphrases. It's trying to give you a paraphrase uh, to understand big themes in the Bible. And then the King James Version is like old talking, thou ought to do more reading. That type of old, old reading or old talking or old scripture trying to stick to kind of like that 1600s, 1800s time period. Uh, which then gets us to, finally, the NLT or the book I have here today. All right, so that's a lot. But to understand that is the first part to embracing the Bible. As you reflect on that, have you embraced how Scripture has come to be? Have you marveled at how ancient yet unified it really is? If not, what do you need to look into? What do you need to discover? Let's talk. All right, we're going to part two. I got par- Kit Kats for part two. Who needs, who needs a little like refreshment? Something way back here. Watch your heads. Watch your eyeballs. Uh, all right, how do you understand it? How do you understand the Bible? Well, first off, you got to read it, right? Obviously, the answer is read it, for real. You, you got to read it. But if you don't know how to read the Bible, know you're not alone. Know you are not alone. But don't stay in that thought of, I just don't know how to read it, so I'm never going to read it. Don't stay there. We have free Bibles for you at our Welcome Center. Take one with you. Uh, it's the NLT version, uh, so it's easy to understand. But open your Bible up to the New Testament. Start reading there. Read, read John is a great place to start. Read Matthew, that, that's the start. And then start reading your Bible. If you read one chapter a day, you'll get through the entire New Testament within a year. But as you go on your journey of reading the Bible, you may notice it gets hard. It gets hard to understand sometimes. And it seems kind of off or random. So the second question really actually is how do you actually learn about God and know exactly what God is saying with his scripture? Again, 2 Timothy, it says in 3, 2 Timothy 3:16, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Well, as you hold to the belief of the Bible being true, there are a lot of ways that you can communicate truth. For example, at home, I feel like I talk about this a lot, so it makes me think maybe I have a little problem at home. I don't know. But uh, in my house, we <coughs> I say a lot of different things to communicate the truth that we need to clean our house because it's messy. I do a lot of different things to, to communicate this. I make direct comments. We need to clean our house. This place is messy. I make indirect comments. Wow, John's house is way cleaner than our house. Maybe we got to clean it. I write post-it notes with to-do lists, kitchen, dishwasher. I sing a song. I have two little girls in my house. Clean up, clean up, everybody. You you know it. I share a personal experience with my wife of, like, what happened. True story. My daughter, she left these out in between our bedroom and bathroom in the middle of the night. Ouch. And I'm like, this shouldn't happen, is what I share. (laughs) I talk about a magical fairy sometimes. I'll be like, hey, this, this fairy needs to come and clean our house. Like, if we only had a fairy, and said, yeah, I would say, yeah, I wish she'd come and visit again. That fairy is me. I clean the house. I even embellish a little bit on uh, the need for cleaning, right? Like, someone is going to die or get lost in our house if we don't clean it now. There are a lot of different ways to communicate truth, Right? Because it is true our house is messy at times, and it needs to be clean. I just use different methods to state it. That tactic or that type of language can be seen with some of the Bible and the way authors communicate. When trying to interpret scripture, or another word for interpreting scripture is exegete, uh, there are important things you need to do and be aware of to do that well. If, let's say, you just can't understand, like, how a certain verse fits, you might need to exegete it or interpret it. And essentially what that means is study the context of the verse. There are layers to things going into Scripture or into different texts. For example, there's this uh, spiral. It's called the hermeneutic spiral. And what happens is there's all these things that kind of go into Scripture or into different texts. So in the center, you have, like, the word or a verse but then, like, what went into that actual word or verse is the context, the immediate context of who was writing that at that time, the, the section it's in, the type of book it's in. Uh, again, the book, it, also the writer. What was the writer doing? What was their occupation? Uh, and w- what time period were they in? The Testament. What is it New Testament, Old Testament? And then the Bible. Like, is it in the Bible or is it, or is it the Apocrypha? Is it something separate? Or the genre? Like, it, what type of genre is this type of writing? All these things go into that. One additional ring that I think is like on the outskirts of that one is that you also need to be aware of is your own biases, your own biases in reading the text. If I go back to cleaning or my thought of cleanliness, I have a bias. I'm super conscious of wanting things clean. That's my lens for life. It's what I had growing up. It's what, in my opinion, I saw people do that I admire. It's what I associate with success. Whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. But I have a lens of wanting things to be more clean than others. So I'm looking for that in our house. I'm looking for that in our life situation. And I need to be aware of that lens. In the Bible, you need to be aware of the fact that maybe you're interpreting Scripture or a text from a particular denomination upbringing, maybe from a skeptical upbringing, maybe from a grieving point, maybe from someone who had an abusive parent Maybe, as one who struggles with trust, are you reading Scripture with a lens? For the lack of a better term, we have baggage that we bring to our reading. Some baggage is good and helpful, and some is not. But when you're dealing with doubt or seeing inconsistencies or misunderstanding Scripture or something in a way, start by asking yourself are you reading the text correctly? I get that I'm kind of like dropping this bomb on you, like you got to do all these things when you read the Bible. You might be feeling like, Aaron, you're telling me to read the Bible, but to do all of this, yikes, yikes. I get it. It's hard. Whenever someone tells me the Bible is, all the Bible is super clear and easy to understand, I instantly see red flags like, really? God never said following him and his word would be easy. You don't have to like doing it but you are to be obedient to it. As we saw in 2 Timothy 2.15, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Reading scripture isn't this easy thing. It takes effort. It takes work. And even when it's all said and done and trying to understand things, there will still be times of uncertainty where you might have to put faith in, in believing a unique part of Scripture or a unique part of the text. But as one who, who takes a leap of faith, your promise promised the Holy Spirit, your promise that God will guide you in understanding. First Corinthians 2.14, it says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So what or where are you at with some of your biblical doubts today? And understanding maybe some strange parts of the Bible. One way, one way I like to think of of interpreting and and kind of like thinking through of really trying to understand scripture is is this chiseling concept. Have you ever seen like people like chisel like ice blocks? I think they do it at a Sturgeon Fest, or or they chisel like snow snow sculptures, or there's also like woodworking, like that's from a tree. That's amazing. Or even people use chainsaws, that's cool. And I think there's even food, like you can chisel things, right? But in all these, there's a designer who had an intended vision to communicate. In the Bible, there is absolute truth from God that he intended the authors to communicate thousands of years ago. But with it being ancient and in a different context from ours, sometimes chiseling has to be done to see the vision clearly and apply it to what, 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 what we would see as a clear picture today to really understand what it's saying. Yet there needs to be a sensitiveness also of not chiseling too much away. That ruins truth, the intention, the vision. And this is a tension that we must hold when reading Scripture and interpreting. The goal isn't to just make it our own design or or our own opinion of what we think the Bible says. We aren't to just make it be what we want it to say or to fit what's acceptable in our culture today, or, or with whatever the new trend is in the Bible, we are to do our due diligence to interpret it, to understand it the best we can, but hold interpreting within, with this tension. What do you need to do for yourself to move past some doubts, to really gain some understanding? Do you need to study scripture more? Do you need to look at your lens or your baggage that you're bringing to things? Do you need to maybe chisel some things away to, that maybe is not making it clear for you to really understand things? Do you need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand Scripture, to embrace a text? Do you need to sit in tension for further clarity? All right, part three, we're shifting into. I got another, like, Kit Kat, who needs a little, like, a little chocolate refuel. refuel? Oh, back here, a little chocolate refuelment. Taking someone's eyeball out again, all right, well... Part three, because we're now getting going in our kit Kat, right? We're on the third part. It's tasty. How do you use the Bible today? As in, I now believe it's God's Word. I know how to read it and reconcile some hard things, but how do I actually use it? The Bible is God's Word to us to help us understand who He is and His purposes for us. To use the Bible, though, in that matter, you need to actually read it. You need to read it in respect to its intention. First two parts but you also need to be willing to let it change you and correct you. Psalm 119, 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. The Bible is meant to guide our lives. And it's this amazing tool for you, but you need to use the tool correctly. There's a lot of tools out there these days, but sometimes people don't use them correctly. Check out these people. My, 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 I love that ending. I'm done. I'm done with this. <laughs> How you are to use the Bible, uh, it's a tool, but we've got to use it correctly. There are kind of like two mainstream ways people kind of study or use the Bible. Uh, there's kind of, it's called the topical or an expository style. Um, topically, there might be a topic that you are trying to learn about or to see, does God say anything about this particular topic? How you do that is you maybe look up in your concordance, uh, you maybe Google it, you maybe uh, get a topical book and see what scripture says about it. Maybe you get a topical Bible even that sees what it says about certain things. And then what you do is you read those verses on that topic and you try to gain understanding. But it can't stay there. It can't stop there because topical studies, they take work because you need to see, is that verse taken in the right context? You need to do that by reading the the passage around it. You need to look at themes that are seen in a specific book. You need to see what other scripture says about that topic and see if it's all aligning and see if you can understand what it's saying as as a whole. On Sundays, many of our messages here are geared in that manner. The the reason being is God speaks relevant truths today and we hope to get you started in scripture with topics to help you make life changes aligned to God's ways now. The other format of things, of how you would study or, or look into things, is an expository teaching or studying. Uh, and it, what that means is to let Scripture speak to you through your reading of a chunk of Scripture. You are to read a passage or a book for the intention to let Scripture change you on a, maybe a topic that you're not really interested in at that time, or, or maybe it's just something that you know you, you need to address, but it's not something you're, you're totally ready for, but It's something that you know is necessary. So expository teaching embraces that. We're reading and seeing what Scripture says to us as we read the whole thing. Now, as you do that... That's, that's something we tend to see do happen in our life groups uh, here at church. Life groups, what they are is about 10 to 12 people who meet together, who study the Bible, and they start up this fall, actually. A little plug, we have about 10 different groups. We have a bunch of new ones starting. Um, we'll have like 100 plus people in life groups this fall, so I'm super excited about that. But there's new ones for you to try out and get plugged into. You're going to hear more about this in the weeks to come. But in these life groups, they do a bit more of an expository study meaning they look at scripture, see what it can teach us, and then try to make our lives more and more aligned with that scripture, whether it's something we're interested in at the time or not. The Bible itself does not clear which method is right or wrong. I see Jesus kind of as like this topical teacher because he taught about things that were of interest to his followers, but he also was God, right? And he was creating scripture at the same time, like he he was expository, right? So like either way, both can be used to understand the Bible and to grow. My challenge for you is to do both. Do both. Be in a life group. Try a book study this fall. And then continue to come on Sundays. Like, we have a YouTube page of like 100 plus sermons on different topics. What's the topic you're wrestling with that you need to grow on and like look at Scripture or get started on Scripture with? The Bible speaks on things like marriage, money, relationships, making decisions, faith. As you study it, it may not be what you want to hear or what you think the answer is or or what is right maybe in your eyes, but your role isn't to like Scripture. It's to be obedient to it. And that part takes a, a leap of faith in something to follow after. And more often than not, over time, you'll be able to see why God directs us to live a particular way. For me, that has honestly been the biggest doubt buster of the Bible. When I read that I should not lie and actually choose not to, I see the benefits. When I give, for example, and not hold, my, hold hoard for myself or hold for myself, I see the impact I can have on things. When I live within God's boundaries, I see that I'm protected from things. When I forgive, even though I don't want to, I see that it makes my relationships better and faster, in, in a faster way. The Bible is meant for you to study and to learn about God and His ways, but then to obey it. Which brings us to the last round of our Kit Kats. i got a few left here. Two more? Anybody? Whoa, that's like a challenge way back there. There's no way I'm making that happen. I'm going into the aisles now. I'm like scared. Last, round, last question. How can you bring it to others who doubt? You can bring it to others however you want, right? But there are some ways that are definitely more effective. I don't know anybody who doubted the Bible but got interested in the Bible because of condemnation that someone made on them with it. I don't know anyone who doubted the Bible but started following it because they had someone yell at them about a verse they were breaking. I don't know anyone who doubts the Bible and had someone say, you know the Bible says this, and then they became a follower of Christ after that. What I'm trying to get to is there are definitely better or worse ways to bring the Bible to others who doubt it. But in today's world... What you need to know is don't assume they see it as authority. You telling them that they need to change because of the Bible may only make it worse. What you can do is show it speaks authority in your own life. First Timothy 4.12, it says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. This quote may be overused here, but I think it's so fitting our lives may be the only Bible people will ever read. You are to live the Bible out. It's okay to ask people where they're at with the Bible. It opens the door for conversation sometimes. Yet remove your agenda of having them try to embrace all four parts of the Bible right away, the four things we just talked about. Take it slow, Kit Kat chunk by Kit Kat chunk. Don't answer more than they need. Don't don't start quoting Scripture to them instantly as they're not on the same page with you about it. Stand down in times of uncertainty or things that you don't know and point towards Jesus when in doubt. When in doubt, point towards Jesus in your personal experience with him, of what you've seen uh, him do in your own life. And that's a personal experience that no one can refute. As you think about who you need to bring the Bible to, what do you need to do to be more sensitive to bringing it to them? on, Not pushing it, letting them ask, using less scripture or quoting less scripture towards them, using more personal story of your life change through Jesus. As I wrap up, like a Kit Kat, it's hard to take all four pieces in at once, even though I like doing it. I like taking the big bite. We want to. We want others to take a big bite too. But if you can consider each each part of it, hold them with tension, put the work in, be sensitive, taking one brick at a time, you'll eventually want to take all four in. I'm going to pray that that happens, that we move forward in faith, in our doubts of the Bible. If you want to pray with me during that time, you can pray right now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for just giving us an example of how it's okay for us to deal with doubts. But God, I just pray that uh, as as we learn from your scripture, we read your word, the Bible, that we see it as holy, that we see it as something as truth, authoritative, And God, I just pray that uh, you help us, whatever that is that we're dealing with when it comes to the Bible, that you help us either grow in closer faith with it or certainty with it and help us just overcome some of that unbelief we maybe are struggling with when it comes to the Bible. Help us help someone else who maybe is struggling with that as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.